Welcome to the State of Everything Extra Tim. I'm Paul Rodriguez of thinktrading.com, joined by Tim Price of pricevaluepartners.com. It's Easter, Tim. What Easter eggs have you got? I'm still living off of supplying a hoard of gold and silver chocolate coins that I maintained over Christmas, and they're, they're still going strong. So I'm having to eat into my dip into my bullion hoard, but at least it's edible. <laughs> so not only have you got a bullion hoard, you've got a, a an edible bullion. I've got hoard. an edible bullion hoard. You've got to diversify. I mean, diversification <laughs> is the watchword for these for these strange times, isn't it? Absolutely. I think we should go straight to questions and then. Let's go for it. Let's yeah. Go for it. So we got one via direct message from James McKenzie. A couple of quick questions for the State of the Markets podcast, if you don't mind. Graham's work, um, so this is the intelligent investor. Benjamin Graham's work in the intelligent investor suggests dividing portfolios between equities and bonds and is clear about the merits of both in a balanced and diversified portfolio. Your own recommendations mention very little to do with bonds for obvious reasons. Do you think there will need to be a radical rethink of debt? If so, do you think we could witness the end of Western dominance and near total collapse of our economies whilst this lesson is learned? And what could be done to avoid this? Keep up the great work, both you and Paul, and sorry to be so depressing. Well, thanks, James, firstly, for the, uh, for the warm sentiments, which are very much appreciated. Um, I think we're living through a gigantic reset. And I think one way of looking at the coronavirus pandemic is it's a bit like a time machine so it's 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 sent everything sort of fast forward at light speed to maybe where we would have got to anyway but it would have taken a lot more time and the reality is it's, it's, it's in other words it's a bit like well i've said before that within well i think probably both the way paul and i think about markets we probably both felt i won't put words in paul's mouth but we probably both felt coming into 2020 that you know the bubble was inflated and it was going to burst but what was unclear was how precisely that might happen and over what time scale yeah absolutely both of, both of those questions have now been answered so mm. the bubble has now been burst and it's been burst by a pin called coronavirus um and to get to the point about debt you know the, the, I, I would still maintain that although this is i mean all bets are off because this is a literally your sort of once in a century type event you know the last probably comparable thing was the spanish flu outbreak of 1919 and in economic terms it's now not an exaggeration to say we're, we're living through something akin to the great depression of the 1930s but notwithstanding that for me the and it's possibly sort of professional bias in that my background when i started work in the city my background was in in the credit markets is in fixed income Albeit as a generalist, not as a specialist, so I was, you know, I was involved in government and corporate and floating rate and high yield and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it was all debt based for the first, you know, 10, 12 years of my career. I have always felt that, you know, the biggest problem that the world faced, that the financial world faced, was a, a, a super abundance of debt. And that problem was that that problem was a live going concern back in 2007, 2008. And what did the authorities do? They papered over it. They issued more debt to, to, to deal with the crisis that was fundamentally a crisis of, caused by a buildup of too much debt. And so now we're coming into you know, this mess, this global mess, with even more debt and even more debt being issued to pay for the, you know, to keep the show on the road. So it's, it's got a little bit absurd. Um, how this ultimately plays out, 
God, it's anybody's guess. But uh, I think I may have mentioned, I've certainly written about it, and I think I may have mentioned on previous episodes, the, the statement by Mario Draghi, uh, which he published uh, in public in the, in the page of the FT about a fortnight ago, pointing out that you know, what we were now going to get collectively was you know, huge more issuance of government debt and also the cancellation of private debt. Um, so anybody who is a bond investor of any sort should have been reading those words and immediately liquidating their portfolios, um, their bond portfolios. Um, so it seems absolutely certain that we're going to get more government debt. But I noticed, for example, I think Moody's at the end of March downgraded, I think it was $6.6 trillion of uh, corporate debt. So firstly, it's like it's it's like everything else. It's, it, you're having to do the same thing in the bond market that you have to. I think it makes sense to do in the stock market, which you have to assess what you want to own, if anything. And we can we can come on to the stock market in, in due course. But as far as the bond market is concerned, it seems to me abundantly clear that well, G7 government debt that the the wheels probably stay on for a little bit longer. But in the corporate and high yield sector, it's probably already game over. So I don't think you want to be trapped in in there. But in the bigger picture, do you want to own bonds full stop? And my argument for some time, this is not new news, my argument for some time has been if you don't have to play in this market, just, just, just you know, to go somewhere else. You don't have – and this is word apophatic, which I, I'm indebted to Jonathan Esker, previous guest on the, the podcast, for, for highlighting to me. So you invest apophatically if you – you know, you decide not to play in a market and you don't, because you don't like it, but you don't try and short it. You just say, look, you know, it's too difficult for me. And that just sits in the too difficult pile and you go and play somewhere else. So I think that's the way to play bonds. I mean, I know a lot of trading orientated people will be saying, well, there's good money to be made as yields go even more negative. But, you know, the, 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 the strong piece of advice I would give to anybody is whatever you decide to own through this crisis, you probably want to feel feel happy you know you want to look at your portfolio as if would you feel happy owning these instruments if the markets were to shut for five years and as buffett himself said if you can't countenance holding on for something i think i think he said 10 years if you can't countenance holding on to something for 10 years and you shouldn't countenance holding it for 10 minutes so that would be my view about bonds part of this is whether we're going to get deflation or inflation. We've had a deflationary shock. And something we've been discussing for some time is which comes first. And you're, you're, you, you were leaning more towards there being um, a deflationary shock followed by a massive inflationary um, response. Pumping. Yes, yeah. exactly. And Interestingly, I was looking at the Kondratiev cycle, which is a, about a 50 to 60 year cycle that looks at a deflationary period, but normally followed or a disinflationary period followed, which was preceded by a massive hyperinflation or massive mm. inflationary period. And of course, we haven't ha we've not had the massive inflationary period. No, we've, we've had we've had we've had disinflation, you know, in the form of China, for example. So China joining the world economy over the last 25 years or so has proved to be a disinflationary force because it's led to you know a billion people effectively joining the the global labor force yeah. and a huge a huge amount of of various types of goods less so services but certainly manufactured goods flooding into the world and that's been deflationary or certainly disinflationary yeah um 
but but the thing is, I suppose it's you know this is I mean, the world is a complex thing. We've had inflation in the form of financial asset prices, so we've had inflation in basically everything that the Fed and their peers throughout the world have pumped up, certainly since two thousand and eight. Um, so you have had pockets of inflation, but you haven't had the kind of CPI RPI inflation that everyone you know, tends to associate with inflation whenever you read about it in the newspapers. Now I'm sure I saw a message somewhere on Twitter. I know these things get a bit fragmented, but there was a message about us talking about inflation, which in in terms of prices of of goods and and you know things like pint of beer. I mean, mm. you know, we are we have seen inflation in various places, and so. There is this this feeling that that the the actual official stats of what inflation's supposed to be against what people are actually paying. oh hugely hugely duked well, yeah exactly I mean let, let's think about how this has worked in the in the prior crisis so you've got in the prior crisis you had a situation where the banks were failing they needed a ton of money and the way to solve it was to give the executives a ton of money and hope that it filtered down to the mm. people that needed it. So obviously, what happens is a lot of money gets trousered. It went, it went straight through. It went straight through without touching the sides. Exactly. So it, so it ended up in the car park exactly. or the or the marina. Exactly. So you get you get a bigger uh, a yawning gap between the haves and the haves nots, and and then you also get an asset boom because mm. of course all that money is chasing all that that sort of paper money that that you know here have some numbers has got to go somewhere. You've got to get rid of it. And so that pushes up things that they want, like real estate and, yeah. you know, classic car prices and fine wine. And fine wine and all 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 those all those things. And and so that that's what you that's what we've got. So we so it's so strange that we've we've actually had a, a sort of inflationary and a disinflationary period at the same time. But the question is now, they're give they're trying to give money directly to people. Mm. And I'm just wondering whether this is going to, I mean, and, and it comes back to the bond question. Um, and I'm just wondering whether this is, whether we're going to get this massive inflationary boom much quicker than, than people think. What, what do you think about that? Uh, well, the, the other weird, well, one of the so many weird things, uh, one of the weird things is that we've been talking about um, modern monetary theory and the the imminence of it and <laughs> with the best one in the world i don't think anyone could have foreseen just how quickly it would arrive in the form of the response to the pandemic so you, you it seems now to be being practiced here in the uk you've got sort of outright monetization of, of government debt here um something similar happening in the state so it's 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 become a global phenomenon um if if you're printing money effectively printing money out of thin air and then gifting it to people at the same time as you've had a huge uh, supply shock and everyone's basically under house arrest, how can that not be inflationary? Mm. Because it's more, it's more money chasing of a, a, a much reduced number of goods and services, assuming there are services at all. I mean, I, just before we came on air, I was reading a piece by, um, I think his name is Ottolenghi, a uh, restaurateur, in the Guardian, uh, asking basically for a bit more government help because, and it's 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 I and mean, this is one of those sectors that you know may, I mean, to say impaired is is putting it mildly. It may never come back. Really? You know, the, well, uh, I was also listening to. I mean, I, this is a perfect time for people who want to do research because you've got you know endless acres of sort of time and space to to do it. So just before that, I was I was listening to Danielle Di Martino Booth, who of course we had on 
uh, quite recently as well. And she was pointing out that in the States, the typical restaurant uh, has one or two days cash on hand. Mm. They can't survive. They and they can't survive a lockdown lasting weeks when they have no business whatsoever, but still have you know liabilities in the form of payroll and yeah. rent. And she was just suggesting that you know, there'll be huge numbers of restaurants that will simply never come back now because they, they'll never get the financing to relaunch. Yeah. Um, now that's that's the kind of like left field thing that nobody could possibly have foreseen. But the government are giving unemployment money to those people who have been laid off. So they, they're trying to get money to the extent that they don't need to lay those people off. And therefore, once we come out of lockdown, and I know that's all in theory and in practice, we'll see whether it actually works, but they, they are trying to prevent the collapse of these businesses. And some have pivoted across to doing takeaways, you know, mm. so, so you can go to a restaurant and, and instead of obviously sitting in there, you, you get a box of something or delivered. Mm. Um, and so if, if you pivot to something else, there may be a way of, of, of surviving it or at least maintaining some form of cash flow long enough to, until things get back to normal, which is crazy. I mean, it's, it is such a weird, crazy time. We're, we're, no, we're not going to know until things start to get back to normal. And with that in mind, I was reading, I was looking at the share prices on Thursday and I noticed a 30% jump in Cineworld. And I thought, that's interesting. Mm. <clears throat> Maybe we're going to come out of this quicker. Maybe somebody's predicting we're going to come out of this quicker than expected. Today, I've just read in the Telegraph that uh, they think it could be next month. And so, which is quicker than the, some people thinking it would be September. Um, now, what, what, do you have any opinion on that? No, it's just so many moving parts. And, you know, you're, you're basically just being buffeted about by the, just the latest scientist, uh, economist, journalist, sort of banging on about things that, you know, that very few people, I think, are in the, in the, in the position of being able to speak objectively and with intelligence about when this is likely to happen and it's certainly above my pay grade so I, you know, I don't have any strong views and obviously like everybody else I want it to be sooner than later yeah but by the same token you know, it, it, it doesn't make sense to have had all of this mess already and then go back prematurely if a load of people are going to get infected or reinfected in the fullness of time so yes. it's i mean these are problems that you you know you just don't you don't want to be wrestling with in the first place yeah uh, on, on on the topic of you know the the response, the government response. I mean, I was intrigued by I think it was a little tweet by James Dellingpole during the week, uh, quite recently, so in the last few days, suggesting that you know the response to coronavirus might be like the equivalent of like the Millennium Bug to the Power of Infinity for mm. anyone that remembers 1999. Well, nothing really happened. Well, this is the point. Um, so then people claim, oh, yeah, well, I was in software, blah, blah. And if we hadn't done what we'd done, then the world would have collapsed. And I find that, frankly, a load of bollocks. So, no, it was, uh, basically. So it's just an intriguing question. It, it, it does seem increasingly likely that this is a bit like that, you know, the, the old phrase, you know, the, you know the, the surgery was a success, but the patient died. Um, that the, 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 quote, cure, unquote, to this is going to be far worse than the disease in terms of the, you know, the economic and, and human damage that it causes. Yeah, I, I think the priorities is to get the businesses back, you know, in some form of operation. I mean, people are sensible now. If you were to have not done anything, then, of course, the infections would have gone through the roof. But everybody knows now. They, they understand that you've got a social distance. And therefore, I think, getting people, getting these businesses working again 
if we have to wear masks, wear masks. But, you know, we've got, that's a priority. I don't think the schools are at all. And, mm. and I think they're, they're talking about putting people back to school first. I don't think that, that it should be done in that order. I think this, but that's just me, you know. Um, I, I get the argument that, you know, you've got people who are at home because of, of uh, they've got to look after their kids. I get that. But still, the way that we talked about it before, the way kids will pick up but not necessarily show any signs of it, thank God, um, and transfer it to other people is is something you want to avoid. So priority is business, really. But, mm, but no, we I'd should, agree, I'd agree. We, we, we shall see. We'll see how it goes. Now, we had a another question from Shane McAvoy, and he put a link to Jim Rickard's comments about uh, being able to get cash out of the bank. And there was a, a YouTube video of him just, basically talking about um, how the bank, once you put your money in the bank, it's actually the bank's money and he mm. wanted us to discuss it. So we have yeah, talked about a, a bit. Yeah, this is the thing that, 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 that really catches people unawares. It shouldn't do for anyone that's paying attention during you know the, the global financial crisis and then what happened in uh, Cyprus and, you know, and Iceland. But, Absolutely shocking, wasn't it? What but, happened in Cyprus? But the but ne- nevertheless, you know, the, there are risks inherent in in having a bank account, and the main the main one that should be front and center of everyone's mind is, is, as Shane rightly points out, if you put your money into the bank, the money is no longer legally yours. You become an unsecured creditor to that bank, and so the reason why this is a huge deal now is because if you have money in the bank you're getting paid nothing by way of interest or in the worst cases in the eurozone you're actually paying for the privilege of being an unsecured creditor so you have zero upside and you have 100% downside if the bank goes under or you get bailed in as happened in the likes of cyprus um so yeah we had the earlier question about debt but i think you have to ask a similar question about to what extent do you want to own do you want to have cash on hand, cash in the bank these days? Uh, and I'm not suggesting everyone immediately rushes to the bank and takes their money out, but I am suggesting that for most people, it would probably, for those people who have got six figure plus amounts in the bank, there's probably a better home for that money. Because, you know, when governments are desperate for cash, as they are and will now be for the foreseeable future, they will go where it's like that. I'm trying to think of the name of the bank robber in the States. And this apparently is misattributed to him. But there's, a, there's this guy, Willie Sutton, I think his name was. And someone said, uh, why do you rob banks? And he goes, because that's where the money is. Now, <laughs> now, whether or not he actually said it is kind of academic because the, the, the quote has lived on. Uh, but the, if government, you know, needs money, they'll go where the money is. And the money is also in the banks. It's people's bank accounts. So. You know, it's probably best not to go around when we're all finally released from from house arrest with giant T-shirts with targets on them because, you know, it doesn't make any sense. So on that basis, if bonds are a no-no, then significant amounts of cash are also a no-no. Have you seen the film Hell or High Water, Jeff Bridges? I have, I have. Yeah, it's really good, really good. Just reminded me of that. Um, Yeah, so... what's also interesting about that is people, businesses aren't taking cash. Like some businesses just will refuse to take it or much prefer you use a card, obviously because of the spread of the virus. Now, I did wonder whether there would be something that the government would be able to bring in to stop us using physical cash and move us to electronic. The way way to answer this is to allow us to use silver, to have silver back in circulation because silver also has antibacterial properties. And I've got a healthy load of it in my personal account, which I'm happy to 
to, to share the love with and the fullness of time into the broader economy. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so just circling back to James McKenzie, I was just thinking about the last part of his question when he said, is there any way to stop this um, with, with regard to the amount of debt that's in the system? It does seem to be like we're on a roller coaster and we just cannot get off. Uh, is there a way to stop it? We're living through it. We're living through the, the, that, the reset now. So what, what makes it through to the other side is going to be interesting. Uh, yeah. I, I would love, for example, the idea of a return to sound money because we've had unsound money for at least the last 50 years. How could we do that, though? I think that's, that's, that's basically the crux of his question. If we uh, gold, Well, something like a return to the gold standard, for example, which we, we, we're almost at the extent that at a sovereign level, you know, central banks have been buyers, consistent buyers of gold for as long as I can remember with the you know, inglorious exception of uh, Gordon Brown. Um, and the the infamous brown bottom uh, in gold when we sold all of ours. Um, so it, the reality is that the global um, foreign exchange system is in large part a de facto gold standard anyway. Because you look look at who's been buying the stuff over the years, and it's it's the world's larger central banks, not all of them, but many of them. So I mean, I, it's wishful thinking because I doubt if it'll ever happen, but. It, it it's it's like that one of those questions in 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 investing that that you know you're so guided by or so influenced by the morals of things that it's difficult it's difficult to to, to separate the what the world of what should be from the world of what probably will be. Mm. Um, but I I know I, I I would love a world of of sound money and and who wouldn't? Well, the answer is that the the the, the capitalist gang banksters would not like it because it would curtail their their speculative activities but i think for, for those of us that, that work in the real world um and who have amassed capital and, and wish that capital to retain its purchasing power and store of value qualities over time then a return to sand money would be absolutely terrific and it, maybe this crisis will will ultimately usher that in who knows i think anything's possible just remembering another question and i'm i haven't got it in front of me but um i, I do remember seeing it cross somewhere someone was asking about um the ability to buy physical gold he said what you said it's you can't get hold of it what why can't you get hold of it i think the simple answer is have a go trying mm. to get some you mm. can't get hold of it because possibly because businesses are closed so you can't physically go and get it but well, the, actually, refi the refiners have closed as well so there's the log jams in the supply chain yeah it's just just try for yourself you know there there are as we say, do your own research, right? yeah. but but it's but it is because of that that there's been this disparity between the cash price and people scratching their heads whether it's to do with margins or whether people have have sold gold to to pay for other things on margin calls, um, and, and whether it's snapping back. I mean, it started to snap back right now. So um, could we see it over two thousand dollars very easily? Um, but again, but again, I refer you to to what I've mentioned in previous episodes which is you know it's not about the gold price in dollars it's ultimately what's the dollar worth yes so, yeah you know and this is something i think i, I cited in the, the commentary this week which is basically a lightly edited reversion of something that i first wrote 10 years ago now i was going to ask uh, you about that is that out or is that going to be out on well i guess do you put it'll it out be, it, 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 it'll be it's, it's, so for people who, who follow me on twitter it, they, they'll they'll 
be able to get a link to it already, but for, for, for the people who are on the distribution list via the website, they'll get it on Monday. And so what's the title of this one? Uh, it's a very good question. Um, before Coronavirus, I think is what it's called. BC. BC, effectively, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but so I'll, I'll, just, I'll just quote one, one small, small bit from it because, yeah, it's, please uh, do. because it's a great quote and it's not, it's not mine. It's uh, um, a gentleman by the name of Andrea Sacavalos um, and it's on the topic of gold. So um, the problem of economic calculation under a fiat monetary regime is fundamentally insoluble. It cannot be solved for exactly the same reason that you cannot solve the problem of measuring a length of cloth with an elastic tape measure. The only solution is to throw away the elastic and use a yardstick that cannot be stretched at will. And that yardstick, of course, is, is gold. And this is a very weighty quote, but I'll, well, I'll share it in the, full, in the interest of full transparency. Since it is unfortunately not within our power as ordinary citizens to do away with fiat money, we have to live with it and manage our affairs accordingly. We must, in other words, take rational economic decisions in the context of an irrational monetary regime that distorts relative prices and renders them increasingly meaningless as guides of where to invest. Here, I think, is where the role of gold comes in. Acquiring gold is not an investment. It is a conscious decision to refrain from investing until an honest monetary regime makes rational calculation of relative asset prices possible. Mic drop. Yeah. Great. Now that it takes it takes a while to you know to 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 properly sort of dig through that and get the meaning out of it because it's a, it's quite a dense argument. But it you know th th there are people out there who have been thinking about you know these issues, the important issues of what money actually is, uh, for a very long time, and um, you know, it's a it's a privilege to to have met people like uh, Andreas. Go back to seventy one. Yeah, next, next, yeah, that's where it all started. Where where the rock set in exactly. So, so who knows what what ultimately transpires from this? But I mean, I not not I forget who it was earlier that maybe it was James who said sorry to be pessimistic. Well, if you want pessimism, I mean, it, I I think it is not remotely beyond the realms of probability that this gigantic mess ends in a hot war with China. Really? Because I think... can't. Well, I'm just I I just think anything's possible. I mean, I know how angry I feel at a personal level, and I'm just referring to my own my own purely personal feelings of, you know, of embitterment at, at A, where we've got to, and B, the extent to which what, what, what we're now experiencing, you know, let's be blunt, seems to have started in China and been exacerbated by the behaviour of the Chinese Communist Party in suppressing the information and then lying about it in its early stages. Now, it's not finger-pointing, and, you know, we're talking about, you know, countries armed with nuclear weapons. So I'm not for the moment advocating, you know, a kind of jingoistic response. But, you know, it strikes me that in the fullness of time, questions are going to have to be asked. And some of the answers to those questions are not going to be to everybody's taste. Mm, indeed. Well, let's hope we don't go down that route. Um, you know, it can be, lessons can be learned and apologies can be made. Happily, and... happily we have the, the firm, dispassionate hand of Mr. Trump on the tiller of US <laughs> state yeah. policy. So. <laughs> Bloody hell. Yeah, God help us. Well, that, that's, that's it for all the questions. Thank you very much indeed. I just want to say a couple of thank yous to Andy Humphreys uh, for his link to Dr. Shiva Ayadure. Um, who is a doctor who's also, the, he's the guy who invented email. And he's, I think he's running for a, an office in America. Uh, I'm not sure which, but anyway, he's, but he, he's talked, he's done this really long um, 
video that goes into a lot of detail as to why um, the virus is hitting people who are older and and how to boost your immune system. So it's more to do with during the summer. It's not that it necessarily kills the virus. It's just that as you get older, your immune system starts to diminish. So young people have got like really strong immune systems and and uh, and obviously it tails off as you get older. Um, so what you have to do is boost your immune system. And part of that is getting vitamin D from the sunshine. So it's not so much the warmth, it's getting actually out there in the sun. So, you know, we're being asked to lock down, which is obviously the right thing to do. But it's also important to try and get some of this sun for your own immune system. So staying indoors for too long is 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 not good but it was it's well, a really the first, the first thing i bought was vitamin d tablets when uh, when it became clear what what you know the the, the direction of traffic it's funny you mentioned that i think we're going to find out that also there could be certain genetic factors there are going to be certain ethnic groups that have a predisposition uh, that are going to be more vulnerable to this perhaps yeah. south southeast asians among them uh, it's funny i also thought you were actually going to mention the net so the name i've got is is a guy called chamath palihapitiya who uh, and we can we can put a link to this one. Who's, there's a great clip of him on CNBC, bla- basically blowing the anchor's mind by saying that you know, the US shouldn't bail out billionaires and hedge funds; it should just just let them get wiped out. <laughs> and that's it's very very entertaining. Oh yeah, we'll have a link to that, and we'll definitely share it with our, our listeners. Um, so that's it for this week. Thank you so much, Tim, for answering all those questions. It's a pleasure as always. My pleasure. And. To everyone, thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Let's be careful out there. Be careful out there. Bye. Bye. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do your own research or contact a professional advisor.